7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America, it's 2 p.m. in London, is that right? Did you all set your clocks back already? Okay. In Kyoto, Japan, it's 11 o'clock at night. And in Malaysia, it's 1953. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live on Facebook Live, on YouTube, and on Twitch.tv, and also on Rumble. Dot com. You can find us on all four platforms live, and we are also a podcast, and you are listening on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, you name it. We cover almost all the platforms there are, and uh, you're listening to the audio part of our live broadcast pre-recorded because obviously this wasn't happening whenever you're listening to it but thank you we get tons of downloads and listens on our podcast and we truly truly you're the greatest audience i swear it's it's so nice to see how many downloads we get and uh, across the world uh, we've got uh, podcast listeners from the u.s from malaysia those are the two biggies of course but also we do very well in india the UK, New Zealand, Australia, and up Germany, uh, Italy, a bunch of little countries all scattered all over the place, including South America, actually. But um, we thank you for that. If you would like to help support the show, you can do that quite simply by going to patreon.com slash Sheldon, and you'll see all the different tier levels. You can help us with a very small little amount of uh, you know, basically coffee money, and all the way up to a substantial donation if you'd like to make, and you will get according to what you give. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Sheldon is where you will find a, pay, a place to uh, support us. You can also support us, by the way, by buying some Miko merch. This is Miko. Miko is our Shiba Inu. We're going to update you on her in just a bit. It's got our show logo on here. We've got ball caps. Uh, we've got uh, T-shirts, hoodies, mouse pads, all kinds of cool merch over at twitch.tv. Go to the uh, twitch.tv, No Pants, the About page. And then uh, over on the right-hand side of the About page, I think you'll see Mika merch. You click there and you can check out all the cool merch. All right, speaking of Miko merch, it's time. Miko update. Miki Miko, Miki Miko, Miko update. Miko had a play date. <laughs> yes, actually had a play date on Sunday. Was that yesterday or Saturday? I forget which day. Anyway, I didn't have the video before and I've got it now. Um, so I will, uh, I'll show you that in just a second here. Um, she's doing well. Uh, she did have a little bit of an incident this morning, but she got past it. It was fine. She ate a big breakfast. She ate a big dinner and, uh, she seems to be right back in the spirit of things. So she's doing very well. But yes, on, 
I forget whether it was Saturday or Sunday. I guess it was Saturday. Her very dear friend, Nico, N-I-K-K-O. This is Nico here. And Nico came over. This is my front gate. And there's Miko hiding behind. She was very excited to see... Uh, to see Nico, who came over with her owners, and uh, she will run out. That's why we have to be careful about opening up the gate. But do you see how excited she is here to, to, to see Nico? She's met Nico a few times before in the park, in the off-leash area, and she was just going crazy. So finally, they got together and did what dogs do. Uh, and that's chase each other around the yard. Um, this is my side yard, and there they are. M Miko loves loves to play chase, and uh, uh, there's Nico. Nico is a, is a boy. Miko, of course, is the girl. Uh, we are considering considering uh, having them. How do I put this? having them consummate their relationship. Yeah, we're thinking about it. So there's, uh, there's more of Miko and uh, Nico. See that little bump they do, that butt bump? That, Sheba's are very famous for that. When they're playing, they will do that, that butt bump, like get away from me kind of thing. It's, it's play, it's just their way, but it's very cool. Um, there's one more picture of Nico and Miko hanging out while they're giving Nico some, uh, that's an exposed shot, <laughs> giving uh, Nico some handy wipes there and uh, Miko hanging out. And there we go. This is uh, Nico's owners. And uh, yeah, great to see them. They had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Always very cool to get another uh, Sheba and, um, and uh, Nico which is this one here is uh he's quite the dog <laughs> he's got a great personality <laughs> oh man all right so that's your miko update she's doing very well thank you for asking uh all right what else have we got happening here all right we're going to get into uh some of the stuff we want to talk about tonight we're not giving up on halloween by the way hey i hope you enjoyed saturday night it was halloween eve and we did an entire hour of scary stories. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of viewers. We had a lot of downloads on our podcast, too. So uh, thank you for that. It was fun doing that. Um, all right. Uh, here in uh, Malaysia, <laughs> I mentioned it was 1953. Not probably far from the truth. Mm. Sorry, coffee break time. Um, there has been a bit of a stupid controversy going on here um, over a brand of whiskey, which is called Tima, which is the Malay word for tin, because tin mining used to be huge in this country. Uh, I don't actually know if they still do any tin mining at all. Do we even use tin anymore? I suppose we do somewhere, but I far as I know, we don't do much, if any, tin mining at all. But at one point, Malaysia was extremely famous and I assume quite wealthy for its tin mining, which is the word tima, means tin in Bahasa Malaysia, um, Malaya. Um, so anyway, there was a controversy that was brewing and it was just 
silliness. Um, the government now, <laughs> because they thought that the word Tima would confuse some people, that it might be a female name, Fatima. <clears throat> yeah, whatever. <clears throat> the government now has decided that they're going to join in with the idiots on the left from the U.S. You know, this whole ridiculous cancel culture crap buffalo sandwich junk that's going on in the U.S. these days, which, you know, uh, if, you, if you don't say the politically correct thing, if you say something that somebody takes offense at, then they will try and cancel you. Well, this article here from the Malay Mail, it's actually uh, not, not only the MalayMail.com, you'll find it there, but also on their Facebook page. Now, to take the idiocy one step further, the government has decided that any locally produced items must, must no longer use names or brands that can trigger negative racial or religious reactions from society. Yeah, the environmental and water minister said the decision was recently made by the cabinet following this ridiculousness over the Timo whiskey brand. Mm, we called the company that produced the alcohol, and this is a quote, we stated our objections and the cabinet then decided it will no longer allow the production of any product that could trigger the anxiety of the Rakyat. Uh, Rakyat means the citizens if you're not in Malaysia. Um, including in the context of race or religion. So if anybody gets offended by a brand name or a product name, you, you can't call it that anymore. Let me just tell you, I follow the bullcrap going on in the U.S. over this whole ridiculous cancel culture nightmare that the left is pursuing. They're pretty much done because people just laugh at them and don't take them seriously anymore. And they have been shown to be the morons that they are. But why? Why would we want to continue this ridiculous cancel culture crap it didn't work in America, and it sure the hell isn't going to work here. But try as they might. After the kerfuffle for Tima, the government will bar names and brands of items that could offend society. Let me strongly encourage you to go to the Malay Mail's Facebook page and read these. These are all, I can't put some of them on here because they're, well, anyway, you need to go there and read them. The link is in our show notes tonight, so check that out. Uh, seriously, the last thing we want to be doing is getting involved in this cancel culture crap that didn't work in the U.S., and it ain't going to work here. All right. That is the only heavy political thing I'm going to get into tonight. It's not even political. It's a societal thing. It's just stupid. All right. I found this, and it's really cool. It's from a site called scientistplus.com. There's a link in the show notes. You can check out all this. Um, 40 powerful photographs that science can't explain. Once cameras were invented, people most likely thought they would no longer need to argue about what they were looking at. 
After all, the image captures exactly whatever's going on in front of the lens. What's to be confused? Well, in spite of these rather logical, it would sound, assumptions, some photographs simply have no explanation. And this cool site called scientistplus.com uh, has this article, and you should check it out. It's in our show notes. I'll just go over some of them. Uh, the light on Mars. Here's the actual photograph. This mysterious picture looks like it was taken in the middle of a desert, but it's actually a photo from Curiosity, the Mars rover. And here across this valley, there seems to be some sort of light emitting from who knows what sort of source. Could be a reflection, but then again, it's the only little dot in the middle of this whole picture. It's rather a wide vista shot. And uh, again, taken on Mars by the Curiosity rover. And nobody really has a good explanation for what that little dot of light is. Hmm. It's believed that Mars, of course, is uninhabited. So what would produce this level of light? Uh, instead of sharing insightful information, it posed more questions than were answered. Is there life on Mars after all? Another monster hid hiding in the waters of Australia. Like, you know, look, like Australia needs any more things that want to kill you. Almost every animal in Australia wants to kill you. It's full of snakes and spiders and mysterious bugs, and apparently the water isn't much safer. Some brave souls snapped this picture off the coast of Australia before they wound up fleeing for their lives because they had no idea what this monster could be. Look at this picture. Dang, and look at this guy in what looks like a very small canoe. <laughs> Taken in 1964 in Queensland, Australia, French photographer Robert Serrick took a photo of what appears to be a huge snake. Uh, no explanation of how it got there or what it really was, but it actually more looks like an eel. Anyway, at that size, who cares whether it's a snake or an eel? It could, they're estimating, could be up to 80 feet long. Dang. Cool beans. Mysterious pictures. It's very cool. Check out the, uh, the link in our show notes if you want to read the whole article. The satellite that doesn't belong to anyone. Uh, Black Knight is the name of this unidentified satellite that occupies some of the space around the Earth. It was first discovered many years ago, and no one has ever claimed it for their own. Remains a mystery. Found orbiting the Earth, uh, scientists believe it transmits a signal to our planet. Some say it's alien technology, and observing the Earth to spy on us. Very cool. Nobody knows who, who owns the satellite. And Bigfoot is something near and dear to my heart. I'm a big, big Bigfoot believer. Yeah, I know, tin hat and all. But um, ever since somebody spotted an ape-like figure walking through the woods, Bigfoot's been the target for a lot of conspiracy theorists. This particular image, which has yet to be explained, was taken in Big Otter, West Virginia. It shows some sort of large creature... And it really doesn't look like a bear. 
making its way back into the woods right on the edge here. Again, they've researched this. It's hard to see from far away, but people think this is uh, pretty solid evidence. Others say it's just a man or a shadow, but either way, the hunt for Bigfoot continues. Check these out. You've likely seen these before, but it's very cool. It's the Hasdalen lights in Norway, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. I don't speak Norwegian. Norway, known for its mysterious lights illuminating the sky, and one of the best places to observe the northern lights. However, one light phenomenon, phenomenon most people can't explain. It's the Hesdalen lights, another set of mysterious lights in the Scandinavian sky. Check that out. Look at the rainbows. It's very cool. And uh, one more. There's tons of them. There's 40 of them here. I'm not going to read them all. Go to the site. Links in the show notes. Check them all out because they just get better and better. This woman was sitting in church praying and somebody took a picture of her. She was very deep in thought. She didn't even realize that someone was standing behind her. It wasn't until the person got the photograph back that they noticed this ghostly image sitting in the seat in the pew behind her. When they showed the image to the priest at the church, they became even more confused. The clergyman told them that this was the ghost of a healer who had been known to haunt the church. Apparently not all spirits are out to get you. That kind of fits in with our last show on Saturday. But that is cool. Look at that photograph. Look at that. That is amazing. And again, when they took the picture, there was no one there. When they got it developed, that's what came out. Very cool. All right, check out all of them. There are 40 plus. It's at scientistplus.com. Hey, I saw this earlier. It's a public post, so I'm not putting anything out there that isn't public. I, Whenever I share Facebook posts here on the stream, I always make sure that it's a public post, so it's open to anyone to view. And this is from my dear friend Janet Lee, who is an incredible performer and singer. Check her out on Facebook. Check her out if she's ever performing live where you might be or go if you're in Malaysia. She's quite a talent. But anyway... She posted this today, and I wanted to share it because, especially given the times that we live in, this is, this is a great story. As my daughter, daughter watched her big brother hold an alligator, she declined the opportunity. The alligator's keeper was pushing her hard to try and hold it, and she said no again. And then he remarked, Something along the lines of, nah, that's okay. Little girls are usually braver than boys, to which my son gave him the side eye. And she just must be not feeling brave that day. Well, he couldn't have been more wrong. I took my daughter aside. I looked her right in the eye. And I told her how brave she actually was exactly at that moment. I pointed out the, the bravery it takes to stand up for what you do or do not want to do. 
especially when you feel pressured. I don't need my daughter to be brave enough to hold an alligator. I need her to be brave enough to stand her ground, brave enough to trust the boundaries of what she does and doesn't feel comfortable with, brave enough not to bend just because the world says she should. That's the kind of brave I want my daughter to be. And I think she's well on her way. Man, that is nice. That's exactly right. And you know what? It really applies in the world we live in today. Being brave not only for what you do, but for what you choose not to do, even when you're pressured. Brilliant stuff. Really, really good stuff. All right. Did you think we were through with Halloween? Oh, no. Mm -mm. I know Halloween was yesterday. It's the 1st of November. Happy New Month, by the way. But uh, for those of you who did go trick-or-treating yesterday, um, do people even trick-or-treat anymore? I know here in Malaysia, virtually no one trick-or-treats. People dress up. They have private parties and things. But people don't. Kids don't trick-or-treat. U.S. still some, probably more small-town America, like where I grew up in Cornwall, Connecticut. Uh, likely they had some trick-or-treaters there. But anyway, if you did go trick-or-treating, you have a bag or a maybe plastic pumpkin full of goodies, sweets, candies, rot-your-teeth-out stuff. You know, all the good stuff. By the way, my favorite candy bar would be Snickers. Well... I found this article on Ranker.com, and it is very cool. If I can just find how to get rid of there we go. How 14 of our favorite Halloween candies actually got their names. Halloween and candy, of course, has gone hand in hand for years, literally. People have their go-to treats, uh, some of the chocolate variety or the fruity delight Tootsie Roll lovers, not sure what camp you fall into, but we'll see you too. Uh, Trick-or-treaters and candy lovers of all ages sort through piles of goodies today. Bright wrappers, well-known names for shadow sugar rushes and aching stomachs. I do remember one time I got a mother load of candy for Halloween I collected, and I ate it all that night, and the next day... Not to mention the sugar rush, but don't do that, okay? Anyway, <laughs> some of these are some of the favorites for Halloween. Milk Duds. It, do we have Milk Duds in Malaysia? I'm not sure. I think we might. They're very popular at movies as a movie snack, but they're a popular Halloween snack too. Uh, milk Duds got that name because of their shape. Initially, they were intended to be very round balls of caramel covered in chocolate, but they proved very difficult to manufacture. Hoffman and Company of Chicago first tried this back in 1928. They struggled to create perfectly round spheres. Eventually, they gave up. They named their product Milk Duds because it was basically a dud. But it's stuck, and now they are the dud 
of the candy world. Very cool. Three Musketeers used to be three mini candy bars. We all know those. You don't see them very often here in Malaysia, but they are available. In 1932, they were created. A Musketeer candy bar, the Three Musketeers, was originally three small pieces with individual chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry mini bars. The Triparte Goodie adopted the name of Alexandra Dumas' novel, The Three Musketeers. Sugar rations and the high price of strawberries, eventually, during World War II, uh, resulted in changes to the Three Musketeer bar, and in 1945, towards the end of the Second World War, the Mars product became a one single chocolate nougat candy bar. Cool. Snickers was actually the name of a horse, not a candy bar. Well, it is. It's my favorite candy bar. But it got its name from a horse. However, the name is not used in the UK. When Snickers was introduced around 1930, it was named for one of Frank Mars, the Mars family chocolates, one of his family horses. The confection blended consumer factories' uh, favorites, chocolate, peanuts, nougat, and caramel, took off real fast across the U.S., and when Mars Corporation looked to export the Snickers bar to the UK, they had to adjust the name because the word Snickers rhymed too easily with knickers, slang for underwear. Uh, the candy was marketed as the Marathon Bar when it went to the UK. It wasn't until 1990 when Mars took a company-wide rebranding that the bars sold in the UK were then called Snickers. But Snickers was a very popular horse name. And so, no, uh, the horse wasn't named after the candy bar. The candy bar was named after the horse. And everybody loves Reese's peanut butter. Reese's peanut butter cups once cost one penny, one U.S. penny, and they were called penny cups. Reese's peanut butter cups developed after Harry Burnett Reese set up a candy making shop in his basement. As a farmer and an employee of Milton and Hershey's, Reese began selling his own chocolate peanut butter treats in 1928. He even used Hershey's chocolate in his recipes. Reese's called his candies penny cups, and he sold them in bulk. Later, they would be purchased individually for one cent. A result of the peanut butter cup success, they abandoned all their other products and focused primarily, exclusively, actually, on selling Reese's peanut butter cups. They changed the name, and I assume the price, too. <laughs> all right, one more, but there's a ton of these over at Ranker.com. The link's in the show notes. Check it out. <clears throat> Tootsie Roll bears the name of the creator's daughter. Candy maker Leo Hirschfield named his pseudo-chocolate candies after his daughter Clara, who was nicknamed Tootsie. Clara's Austrian-born father had a candy shop in Brooklyn, New York, and he first made his hand-rolled chewy candies in 1896 
That is a long time ago. Intent on producing a sort of chocolate that didn't melt. Selling his candies for one penny and limited in his ability to expand his customer base. Harshfeld joined with fellow confectioners Stein and Stalbert in 1897 and opened a larger factory in 1905. And they used to deliver Tootsie Rolls via horse and buggies. There's stories about M&Ms here, which are named after the candy's founders. Kit Kat was initially the name of a literary club in London. Butterfingers got its name thanks to, oh, I love Butterfingers. They got its name because of a public contest. And the list goes on and on. Check these out. They're very cool, very cool stories all about the origins of candy's names, some of which you are probably wolfing down today from your... Halloween collection. <laughs> All right. We got, uh, what do we got? We got one more? We do. We got, we got two more. Uh, chili sauce. Chili sauce is a very cool uh, news outlet, media company. They are online. Uh, probably chilisauce.com. I'm not sure of the URL, but this is from Chili Sauce's uh, Facebook page. Uh, I think the link is in the show notes tonight. And um, this is a very cool idea. You know, trolls, people that just make comments on things posted online to get under people's skin, to cause problems, to just, just to create buffalo sandwich crap. Um, I love this. This is such a cool idea. I'm going to show you the actual site here in a minute. You have to take a quiz before you're allowed to leave a comment on the website NRK Beta. It's a Norwegian news site, and it uh, requires commentators to display a basic understanding of the article they're reading before they're allowed to give their opinion on it. You know, these days people read the headline... They don't read the article. If it's more than a couple of paragraphs long, forget it. You know, too long didn't read is a thing, a big thing, sadly, because people walk away with just the first paragraph of an article and they don't read the context of what the article is actually about. But this website forces you, if you want to post an opinion about it, to actually have a basic understanding of the article. The goal is to discourage uninformed rant modes and foster more productive, positive, and educated conversations among readers. A brilliant, brilliant idea. Now check this out. This is the actual site, Neiman Lab. The site is taking the edge off rant mode by making readers pass a quiz before commentating. Uh, two weeks ago, the tech vertical of the Norwegian public broadcaster NRK published an explainer about a proposed new digital surveillance law in the country. And um, I don't read, what is this, Swedish, right? Norwegian? I guess Norwegian. Obviously, I don't read Norwegian. But on some stories, potential commentators are now required to answer three basic multiple-choice questions about the article before they can comment. 
Um, for instance, the digital surveillance story, one of the questions is, what does DGF stand for? And I assume that's what that means. You'll see this again, this is in Norwegian, but you've got to answer these questions. And only if you get them correct, it shows that you have a basic understanding of what the story was about. And only then are you allowed to comment. Brilliant. We love this idea. Very cool. Again, links in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Okay, one more, one more, one more. Bear with me. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, sorry, this is purely a visual thing. But what a visual thing. There are people who carve and whittle. Whittle is basically taking a stick and a knife and, and whittling. And some people make birds and ducks and animals and things out of a piece of pine and a jackknife maybe. Back in the day, yes, I've actually whittled before. But I'm telling you, this is amazing. Check this out. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, go to rumble.com slash Sheldon. You can check out the video version of our show. This is a carpenter's pencil. Hang on, let me get my mouse back. There we go. This is a carpenter's pencil, which is similar to a normal pencil. It's just that the lead inside is much wider. It's like a, a wide oval shape on a carpenter's pencil. And look at this. Somebody carved this out of a carpenter's pencil. This is amazing. This is the lead of the pencil, including the railway. It's a, it's a, it's a locomotive, but it looks like an old-fashioned steam locomotive. Again, sorry if you're listening on the podcast. Check out rumble.com slash and they've got the, the, the rails here of the track. Also carved in the, uh, I don't know, I forget what these things are called. The cross members on the railroad track, cross beams, levelers. And this, again, carved from the lead of this pencil, including what they've, they've dug in here so it looks like it's coming out of a tunnel. That is incredible. Look at the talent. Imagine a carpenter's pencil, which is probably about that thick. This is some amazing work. Carved from a carpenter's pencil, still amazing to see. Wow. Thank you, Ray, for sharing that. It's brilliant. That is just absolutely incredible. Wow. All right. Cool beans. We've got... Uh, we got lots going on tonight. We are pretty much done with all of our stories. We will remind you once again, if you'd like to help support the stream, to go to patreon.com slash jsheldon, and uh, you can sign up there. All of our subscriptions, all of our follows and likes, totally free. If you're over on YouTube, give us a subscribe over there. By the way, thank you to everyone who's been doing that. We're up to like... 330, 40 subscriptions. We really, I mean, no, we don't have millions, but we're getting up there. And thank you. It really does. Uh, it really does help. You hit that subscribe button on our YouTube and uh, we appreciate the subscriptions. That way too, you'll get notified whenever we go live and whenever we post a new video. So that one's free. 
you go to patreon.com slash jsheldon, that's where you can actually give us a little coffee money to help support the show. All right, one of the places that we go for some free help is the Gutenberg Project. We did not do a uh, read last uh, Saturday because we did an hour worth of scary stories. However, we're going to continue with our book, H.G. Wells, The War of the Worlds. And let's see, where is my War of the Worlds? There it is. Okay. Um, We're almost done. We just got a few couple two, three chapters left, and then we're finished with the War of the Worlds. We're going to start a brand new chapter tonight, and it's called Dead London. After I'd parted from the artilleryman, I went down the hill and by the high street across the bridge to Fulham. The red weed was tumultuous at that time and nearly choked the bridge roadway but its fronds were already whitening in patches by the spreading disease that presented removed it so swiftly. At the corner of the lane that runs to Putney Bridge Station, I found a man lying. He was black as a sweep with the black dust, alive but helplessly and speechlessly drunk. I could get nothing from him but curses and furious lunges at my head. I think I should have stayed with him, but for the brutal expression on his face. There was black dust along the roadway from the bridge onwards, and it grew thicker in Fulham. The streets were horribly quiet. I got food, sour, hard, moldy, but quite edible, in a baker's shop here. Some way towards Wallam Green, the streets became clear of powder, and I passed a white terrace of houses on fire. The noise of the burning was an absolute relief. Going on towards Brompton, the streets were quiet again. Hence I came once more upon the black powder in the streets and upon dead bodies. I saw altogether about a dozen in the length of the Fulham Road. They'd been dead many days so that I hurried quickly past them. The black powder covered them over and softened their outlines. One or two had been disturbed by the dogs. When there was no black powder, it was curiously like a Sunday in the city. The closed shops, the houses locked up, and the blinds drawn. The desertion, stillness. In some places, plunderers had been at work, but rarely at other than the provisions and the wine shops. A jeweler's window had been broken open in one place, but apparently the thief had been disturbed, and a number of gold chains and a watch lay scattered on the pavement. I didn't trouble to touch them. Further on was a tattered woman in a heap on a doorstep. The hand that hung over her knee was gashed and bled down her rusty brown dress, and a smashed magnum of champagne formed a pool across the pavement. She seemed asleep. She was dead. The further I penetrated into London, the profounder grew the stillness. But it was not so much the stillness of death. It was the stillness of suspense, of expectation. At any time, the destruction that had already singed the northwestern borders of the metropolis and had annihilated Ealing and Kilburn 
might strike among these houses and leave them smoking ruins. It was a city condemned and derelict. In South Kensington, the streets were clear of dead and of black powder. It was near South Kensington that I first heard the howling. It crept almost imperceptibly upon my senses. It was a sobering, sobbing alternation of two notes. Illa, Ula, 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 keeping on perpetually. When I passed streets that ran northward, it grew in volume, and houses and buildings seemed to deaden and cut it off again. It came in a full tide down Exhibition Road. I stopped staring towards Kensington Gardens, wondering at this strange, remote wailing. It was as if that mighty desert of houses had found a voice for its fear and solitude. Ula, Ula. Ula, wailed that superhuman note. Great waves of sound sweeping down the broad sunlit roadway between the tall buildings on each side. I turned northward, marveling towards the iron gates of Hyde Park. I had half a mind to break into the Natural History Museum and find my way up to the summits of the towers in order to see across the park, but I decided to keep to the ground where quick hiding was possible. So I went up the exhibition road. All the large mansions on each side of the road were empty and still my footsteps echoed against the side of the houses. At the top near the park gate, I came upon a strange sight, a bus overturned and the skeleton of a horse picked clean. I puzzled over this for a time and then went on to the bridge over the serpentine. The voice grew stronger and stronger, though I could see nothing above the housetops on the north side of the park save a haze of smoke to the northwest. Ula, 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 cried the voice, coming, as it seemed to me, from the district around Regent's Park. The desolating cry worked on my mind. The mood that had sustained me passed. The wailing took possession of me. I found I was intensely weary, footsore, and now again hungry and thirsty. It was already past noon. Why was I wandering alone in this city of the dead? Why was I alone when all London was lying in state? and in its black shroud. I felt intolerably lonely. My mind ran on old friends that I'd forgotten about for years. I thought of the poisons in the chemist shops, the liquors, the wine the merchants stored. I recalled two sodden creatures of despair who, so far as I knew, shared the city with myself. I came into Oxford Street by the Marble Arch, and here again were the black powder and the several bodies and an evil, ominous smell from the gratings of the cellars of some of the houses. I grew very thirsty after the heat of my long walk. With infinite trouble, I managed to break into a public house and get food and drink. I was weary after eating and went into the parlor behind the bar 
slept on a black horsehair sofa I found there. I awoke to find that dismal howling was still in my ears. Oola, oola, oola. It was now dusk, and after I'd routed out some biscuits and cheese in the bar, there was a meat safe, but it contained nothing but maggots. I wandered on through the silent residential squares to Baker Street. Portman Square is the only one I can name, so no, and so came out at last upon Regent's Park. As I emerged from the top of Baker Street, I saw far away over the trees, in the clearness of the sunset, the hood of the Martian giant from which this howling proceeded. I was not terrified. I came upon him as if it were a matter of course. I watched him for some time, but he didn't move. He appeared to be standing and yelling for no reason that I could discover. I tried to formulate a plan of action. The perpetual sound of Oola, Oola confused my mind. Perhaps it was too tired to be very fearful. Certainly I was more cautious to know the reason of this monotonous crying than afraid. I turned back away from the park and struck onto Park Road, intending to skirt the park, went along under the shelter of the terraces, and got a view of this stationary, howling Martian from the direction of St. John's Wood. A couple of hundred yards out of Baker Street, I heard a yelping chorus and saw first a dog with a piece of putrescent red meat in his jaws coming headlong toward me, and then a pack of starving mongrels in pursuit of him. He made a wide curve to avoid me, as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor. As the yelping died away down the silent road, the wailing sound of Oola, Oola, reserted itself. I came upon the wrecked handling machine halfway to St. John's Wood Station. I thought at first a house had fallen across the road. It was only as I clambered among the ruins that I saw with a start this mechanical Samson lying with its tentacles bent and smashed and twisted among the ruins it had made. The forepart was shattered it seemed as if it had driven blindly straight at the house and had been overwhelmed in its overthrow. It seemed to me that this might have happened by a handling machine escaping from the guidance of its Martian. I couldn't clamber among the ruins to see it, and the twilight was so far advanced that the blood with which its seat was smeared and the gnarled grizzle of the Martian that the dogs had left were invisible to me. Wandering still more at all that I had seen, I pushed on towards Primrose Hill, far away through a gap in the trees. I saw a second Martian, as motionless as the first, standing in the park towards the zoological gardens, and silent. A little beyond the ruins about the smashed handling machine, I came upon a red weed again, and found the Regent's Canal a spongy mass of dark red vegetation. As I crossed the bridge, the sound of Oola, Oola, 
ceased. It was as if it were cut off. The silence came like a thunderclap. The dusky houses about me stood faint and tall and dim. The trees towards the park were growing black. All about me the red weed clambered among the ruins, writhing to get me above the dimness. Night, the mother of fear and mystery, was coming upon me. But while that voice sounded the solitude, the desolation had been endurable. By virtue of it, London had still seemed alive, and the sense of life about me had upheld me. Then suddenly a change, the passing of something. I knew not what, and then a stillness that could be felt. Nothing but this gaunt, quiet. And that's where we will leave it for tonight, for the War of the Worlds. Cool beans. All right, guys, thanks for coming along for the ride. It's a Monday. Enjoy the rest of your work week. I will be back on Wednesday night, same time, same platforms, and uh, thanks. If you are listening on the podcast, thank you for the shares and subscriptions. We really appreciate that. And finally, don't forget patreon.com slash Sheldon if you'd like to help to support what we do here. I will see you again Wednesday. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night.